because the body is like a computer and mind is like a hard disk and when the hard disk gets corrupted by virus it breaks down okay people are working on how to make the hung computer hard disk work i'll work on the mind when someone has lost a child or they've lost a husband or a wife or a parent suddenly taken away from them how do they cope because in that moment if we say this is part of a wider thing god is teaching you that's really uncomforting right i have to begin with some faith the day one i pop the pill in my mouth my body is screaming with pain it's not that as soon as i put the pill the pain goes away then i have to have faith that over a period of time which the doctor predicts then the pain will go hey if you have pain in the body you know you need to go to a hospital if you feel hungry you know you need to go to a restaurant but when do you pick up the geetha and when do you go to a temple or any spiritual place it is when you are experiencing want to make a podcast spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily then distribute it everywhere and even earn money all in one place for free it's called spotify for podcasters and here's how it works Spotify for podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or your computer. So no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating a podcast today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify, and when you want to take conversations with your fans to the next level, Q&A and polls are the best way to get them talking. With Spotify for podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Ever since I discovered Spotify for podcasters, I love engaging with my audience with the Q&A and the polls. And I also love the fact that I can upload my video podcast on Spotify because I know my audience love watching it sometimes when they're traveling on their commute. I highly recommend you give it a try and you can download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com/podcasters to get started. Goranga Prabhu, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much. You're my first guest on Mumbai's Millennial Mind okay. and I'm very excited to to start this podcast with with all of your insights. So for people who don't know who you are, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? I grew up in a town called Bilai mm-hmm. uh, in the 70s and 80s and went to IIT Mumbai in 89 and uh, after my graduation I had the option to go into technology as a career then I got intrigued by the Gita and thought that uh, let me help people with spiritual technology because okay. the body is like a computer and mind is like a hard disk and when the hard disk gets corrupted by virus it breaks down so i thought okay people are working on how to make the hung computer hard disk work i'll work on the mind mm. and therefore in 1993 i became a monk full time and last 30 years that's what i am be doing trying to help people fix their minds get their desires in order have discipline which is a fusion of intention with action and in general trying to make a contribution through spirituality sustainability and social impact. It's funny I was born in 1993 so <laughs> that's another link but when you say you decided to become a monk what what does that mean? Basically 
there are two types of people who graduate from college. Mm -hmm. One who uses that knowledge and applying it in their life in profession, in a corporate career. Then the second kind of graduates either from the technology or medical school or the B school goes back to the college and becomes a professor because they have a calling in teaching the subject. Mm -hmm. So Gita was spoken to Arjuna who applied the Gita as a warrior but then there is also the option to teach the Gita. So I decided to become a professor of Gita rather than actually applying it in a regular life. It's, it's a, I've tried to read the Gita multiple times and I still feel that every time I read it I learn something new. So when you say you know you wanted to become I guess a professor of teaching that, did you feel nervous around doing that because often when we feel that we're teaching someone something mm -hmm. we have to know everything. Mm -hmm. Did you feel nervous around that? Interestingly uh, the Gita basically focuses around the principle of why we become nervous why we experience fear mm. because today in India there are 70,000 hospitals and almost 2 million temples and people may wonder what's the relevance of spirituality and what difference is Gita going to make in our life so I say that hey if you have pain in the body you know you need to go to a hospital if you feel hungry you know you need to go to a restaurant you feel I need you know a, a good buy so you go to the mall but when do you pick up the Gita and when do you go to a temple or any spiritual place? It is when you are experiencing fear which is caused by change. So change is the cause of all fear and the Gita addresses how we can cope with that fear by embracing things which do not change. Mm. So that which doesn't change is defined and described in the Gita and other spiritual texts across all traditions as spirit. That's the idea. But we're always changing and in this world that we live in so much is changing every single day and with the vast amount of knowledge and information we get all the time, how do we manage that change and how do we battle those times where we feel we can't control the things that we can't change? I say that if you have to cope with the change which happens between 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. in your life. Get your 9 p.m. to 9 a.m. under control. Okay. Krishna says in the Gita that you have to begin by managing four things. Your diet, mm -hmm. your recreation, your work, and your contemplation and meditation. And therefore, if you realize that all through the day, eight things are continuously going to change your relationship with your body the body will go through changes yes. relationship with your husband or wife relationship with the kids or things related to kids mm -hmm. Re things related to our house a relationship with the house residence mortgage ownership this that relationship with our vehicles relationship with money Increase in money, decrease in money, losing money, growing money, spending money. Decisions connected to all of this. Then seventh is the relationship with how the society perceives us. Social acceptance, social rejection. It creates a lot of anxiety and stress as things perceived to be changed. And eighth most important is the degree of influence we are having. We may call it career. We may call it the ability to 
have control over things mm -hmm. in different situations as they change. So if you analyze and break it down, the change we experience revolves around these eight items, which technically in the Bhagavatam is called Atma, Jaya, Suta, Agara, Pashu, Dravina, Bandhushu, Rajji. So in one verse, the eight components of change are described. Mm -hmm. Therefore, once you know that these eight are inevitably going to change and you know that winter is coming, so you keep some warm clothes and prepare yourself. So therefore, these scriptures and this Vedic wisdom, it gives you a prediction of what the climate of change is going to look like. Mm -hmm. And how do you prepare yourself? by connecting yourself with the soul which is the real I within and the relationship of the soul with the supreme soul, the supreme controller and the relationship between the soul and the super soul is something in all traditions, in all religions, in all spiritual texts is described as that which never changes. Therefore, the more things change the more we need to embrace things which never change and that's why our grandparents and you know elders in the family would always recommend begin the day with a prayer end the day with a prayer which basically means that you acknowledge that there are certain things which do not change which is the cause of all my strength and that gives me strength to cope with things which inevitably will change through the day that is so beautiful, but the thing that comes to my mind when you're saying that is, I have two questions. First of all, my, my first question is, for a lot of people to start on that journey and to say I'm going to pray to someone who I can't see, I can't be with, I can't feel, how do they overcome that? And the second question is, that relationship which is really strong that you've built with God. When something goes wrong, I've heard people say so many times, why did you do this to me? Why did you take away my loved one? If you're out there, why is there so much harm happening in the world? Mm -hmm. This person was innocent. How could they have been hurt this way? So first is how do you build that relationship with God when you, right. we can't see God? Mm -hmm. And the second is what do we do when we doubt that relationship? Right. I think it's a wonderful question. And uh, I would begin by sharing that when we feel an urge and a need for something, mm -hmm then we go searching for that thing which we cannot immediately see also. So rather than focusing on whether I can see God or not see God, I would rather focus on how do I develop an urge mm. and a need mm -hmm. to connect with God. So if I focus on that part, then if someone gives you a glass of water, mm -hmm. even if someone gives a glass of water to a small child who is hardly like four to five years old, as soon as he gets the glass of water, the first thing he'll say is, thank you. Mm -hmm. So when you receive something, then the natural tendency is to acknowledge with gratitude. So therefore, what to speak of a glass of water, today across the world, 97.5% of the water in all the resources available is salty water. Mm. Only two and a half percent of the water is sweet water. Out of that two and a half percent of sweet water, 99.7 percent of that 2.5 percent sweet water is either in glaciers or under the ground. 
what you see outside in the form of rivers and lakes the sweet water which we can access is only 0.3% of that 2.5% and still there is humongous amount still remaining for human beings to consume and we quench our thirst mm -hmm. so therefore if i give a simple example of water or air and food we are getting all of these from situations which is beyond our control yeah and then we should contemplate and think if someone is giving me all of this then there must be a need for me to develop a relationship to acknowledge what i am receiving what i am getting and therefore prayer is a form of contemplation which is filled with gratitude mm -hmm. expression of gratitude so therefore that relationship is what keeps you secure because one of the greatest causes of insecurity is we don't want a relationship to abruptly change stop or suddenly go in a direction we don't expect mm -hmm. so therefore the lord is assuring us that i am your best well-wisher in all traditions mm -hmm. and if a small child one day before the exam is obsessed with seeing the world cup final match the parents will take that gadget away yes and the child thinks the parents are cruel to me but the parents know what we are doing for the child is for the child's benefit yes and therefore we need to first understand whom we are developing a relationship with mm -hmm. and then get clear about the intention behind that relationship if we know that the parents intention is to help the child in all situations then the different actions which the parents may choose which may appear as reward and punishment from the child's perspective doesn't appear to be in any way shape or form disturbing to the child because as the child grows up into an adult what has changed is not the parent what has changed is not the intention of the parent but what has changed is in the child's understanding of what the child understood to be sometimes reward and sometimes punishment now the child matures and realizes that my parents were always all good i love that so you're saying that sometimes in life when we doubt our relationship with god because of something that's happened there is a bigger meaning behind it absolutely sometimes that's really hard though when you're going through it so like you said when a child's parents takes away the playstation my parents used to do that to me they used to make me leave my phone outside of my room at night and now i think wow what a wonderful practice that was because now i wake up and i'm on my phone straight away and i do that before i go to sleep but you know as a child i used to think why are you doing that and same with that parent that example you just gave the the child would be saying why are you taking my playstation or my tv right. away absolutely when someone has lost a child or they've lost a husband or a wife or a parent not due to old age or due to anything you know that is natural in that sense but let's say due to a cancer or a terrible disease or you know hit in a road accident right. suddenly taken away from them how do they cope because in that moment if we say this is part of a wider thing god is teaching you that's really uncomforting right in the mahabharat there is a classic example of krishna speaking 
the Gita to Arjuna mm -hmm. and uh, encouraging him to fight. And Krishna explains in the Gita to Arjuna, Kaunteya Pratiyanehi Name Bhakta Pranashyati, my devotee will not perish. He says like that. So one may think that he is referring to the fact that a devotee may not perish physically and may not die. No. Just a few days into the battle, Arjuna's son Abhimanyu experiences an episode where the Pandavas see that the Kauravas have created a chakra view which is a kind of a battle formation which is practically impossible to pierce unless you know from the right sources how to break through that. So Yudhishthira realizes that if the chakra view is not broken the Pandavas are finished. Yudhishthira sees that Arjuna is not available because he is in another part of the battlefield. Mm -hmm. The only person who knows how to enter the chakra view is Abhimanyu who is Arjuna's son. So Yudhishthira calls upon Abhimanyu and says you have to help us otherwise we are all going to be slaughtered. So Abhimanyu knows how to enter the chakra view, he doesn't know how to come out and as a call of duty he does it. When he enters into the chakra view inevitably he is surrounded by all of these Kaurava soldiers and six of them corner him from all directions and finally that young boy who was only 16 years old is killed. Mm. When the news reaches Arjuna he is in despair, he cries and he laments and that is the time when Krishna gives him the assurance that yes, there are challenging situations we will go through. The loss of a loved one is emotionally devastating. But then, once you have expressed and experienced your lamentation and we should allow people to go through that period. But, once you have gone through that, then you have to really focus your energy on what's my duty at this stage. Mm. Duty towards the larger society, duty of what the society expects from me and even the loved one whom I have just lost, what they would expect from me. Mm. So therefore, lamentation, bereavement, experience of grief and expression of grief is perfectly bona fide. But the main point is the time period, mm. the method, the way in which we do it. Mm. And therefore the dignified uh, way of doing it is to experience and express it with closed loved ones who are our emotional support and then with those who do not judge us, who have our best wishes in their hearts. And then at a certain point of time, we have to reset and then think about which way we should be going. Therefore, Krishna says in the Gita, Karmano hyapi bodhavyam bodhavyam cha vikarmana akarmanascha bodhavyam gahana karmano gati. The principle of karma, akarma and vikarma is practically impossible to understand. And therefore, many of the people in this world feel that I need to understand 
the plan of God. Whereas Krishna in the Gita and the other text is saying, you will never be able to figure out my plan. You just try to perform your duty in the midst of both prosperity and adversity. And that's typically why people go to the temple is the immature understanding of visit to a temple and prayer is my dear Lord, increase my prosperity, diminish my adversity. Mm-hmm. But the Gita and the Vedic wisdom and all the texts are saying that in the midst of prosperity and adversity, let me only ask two questions. How can I serve you? And how can I selflessly please you? Mm-hmm. To serve and to please the Supreme is the most important duty which all of us need to attend to in our day-to-day life. So this principle needs to be imbibed and that takes practice. It doesn't happen automatically. So therefore, what you are referring to is that when we go through sudden disaster or calamity, the natural tendency of someone who is not trained is to react with panic, react with so much of uncontrolled grief and react with confusion because they just don't know because they are not trained. So typically in an airport or in a public place if someone just collapses with a heart attack, the response of the common people would be panic. Mm. But the response of a trained cardiologist would be to make sure that the right things are done. So the doctor responds in a cool, calculated, measured, disciplined manner because the doctor is trained how to react in that situation. So the doctor is trained to react to every episode of physical pain. A spiritualist is trained to react to every episode of emotional pain. So I have another two questions. First of all, how do you become a spiritualist? And secondly, a lot of the time we seek seek comfort in other people's emotions. Mm. You know, if I smile at you and you smile back, I seek comfort. If you show me no expression, I would feel panic. And a lot of people, when when you see people who aren't grieving or they've moved on quickly, Mm. there's a lot of judgment there to say, well, you couldn't have cared because you are okay now. Mm -hmm. But then on the other hand, it's, you're right, we should be cool and calm and collected. And I was listening to a podcast with Mo Gaudot and he lost his son. And he said, at the end stage of everyone's grief is acceptance. And he said, I realized early on, I needed to accept it so Mm -hmm. I could spread his message with the world and I could share all of his thoughts and his ideas. And he said, it doesn't mean I don't love my son. Mm -hmm. It just means that I care too much about making him proud. And I wanted to get to that stage sooner because me putting myself through misery was never going to bring him back. And so why why do we feel we have to delay that? gratification we feel like we should mourn for years and years and years and he said I felt judged as well at points because people would say well do you not care Mm -hmm. but he said I love my son but I just got to that end acceptance quicker than everyone else you're right you're absolutely true you're absolutely right in your assessment and what you have quoted is a beautiful story it's a fact that we are all each individuals So 8 billion people on this planet have different ways of responding to different situations. 
mm. you know we have different ways of responding to uh, food you know shelter calamity difficulty so i think it's an individual response and coming back to the mahabharat let's compare the response of arjuna mm. who lost his son abhimanyu and the response of dronacharya so both were fathers mm-hmm. arjuna's son's name was abhimanyu who actually was killed and then abhimanyu grieved for him but then because it was a battlefield situation within one day he got back on his feet and he had taken a vow to kill jayadratha who was the one who was the main culprit responsible for killing abhimanyu and arjuna managed to kill him and avenge his son's death mm-hmm. so arjuna was emotionally traumatized for some period but then again he got strength by the grace of krishna by remembering the message of how things change and there are things which do not change and so we need to embrace that which doesn't change to again regain our dutiful nature mm. and then we have dronacharya and dronacharya had a son whose name was ashwatthama and krishna turns towards yudhishthir and says that the only way we can get dronacharya is if dronacharya is emotionally affected and the difference between arjuna and dronacharya was that dronacharya was not so spiritually trained to be able to cope with adversity and adverse news in the same manner as arjuna so in fact yudhishthir he looked at krishna and said but ashwatthama is still alive so there was an elephant by the name of ashwatthama mm-hmm. and krishna tells bhima and then you know that elephant is killed and when that elephant is killed yudhishthir comes to Ash- comes to dronacharya and yudhishthir tells dronacharya ashwatthama and then the next word he says is the elephant when he says the elephant krishna blows on the conch shell so dronacharya is not able to hear the elephant and then he says is killed so dronacharya hears ashwatthama is killed and dronacharya becomes filled with so much of anxiety he becomes hopeless helpless puts his arms down and sits on the chariot in a meditative pose and that's when arjuna enters and kills him so you know these are two personalities one whose son was killed the other dronacharya whose son was not even killed but he heard that he is killed and in both such situations how the responses were quite different and therefore it's quite natural for uh, people to respond in different situations in different ways but often when someone has passed away or you've lost a life there is a consensus isn't there of you know you can't act like that you know in in our culture you can't go out for 13 days you can't like leave us you're not meant to do it do much right. so there is that consensus but if someone is very spiritually trained in that moment how are they not affected by other people's opinions of telling them that they don't care yeah uh we have to realize that to be spiritually strong does not mean that you have to be cold mm. spiritual strength does not equate being 
careless or yes. callous. Yes. In fact, the more one becomes spiritually mature, strong, spiritually inspired and transformed, to that extent one becomes caring, one becomes filled with emotions and feeling. And therefore, there is a difference between feeling emotional and second, being controlled and overwhelmed by emotions and losing one's total discrimination. Mm. So there is a difference between experiencing distress and difficulty and becoming hopeless. So therefore, where spirituality comes to the rescue is that spirituality is not against experience of emotions. But spirituality and the proper understanding of how this world operates under the influence of the Supreme Controller helps you becoming filled with positivity and optimism and make sure that you may lose the asset of money, mm -hmm. you may lose the asset of reputation, you may lose the asset of a relationship, you may lose the asset of a property, but spirituality will make sure that you will never lose the asset of hope. Mm. And that's why all spiritual traditions focus on helping each one of us regain, maintain and grow our hope. I love that. The word spirituality in the last few years has been really popularized. How do you start on your spiritual journey? And how do you become spiritually strong, which is what you've spoken about so yes. much? So I think uh, Shivaniji, um, typically in my discussions on spiritual discourses and uh, talks, we have, you know, groups of people who wish to become spiritually strong. Mm. So we begin by saying that, try to follow the A, B, C, D. Okay. A stands for association. You need the association of like-minded people because, you know, human beings have an interesting nature that we get heavily influenced by what we associate with and who we associate with. So if you want to change your habits, then the most important thing is you have to pick your right association. Yeah. So similarly, if you're looking at becoming more spiritual, then you have to come in the association of those who are spiritually minded. Even within that, as you go deeper, you have to pick up association of those who very much match the flavor of spirituality which you are choosing. And I give the example that, you know, if you become uh, sick, if you are diseased, then even amongst uh, medical traditions, there is allopathy, mm -hmm. there is homeopathy, there is naturopathy, and if nothing works, there is thirupathy. Yeah. So all of these are there. So depending on the kind of medicine you choose, you go and approach a certain kind of doctor. Mm. So similarly, in spiritual traditions also, because each individual soul is unique and has its own set of millions of desires. Yes. So therefore you cannot put any soul under one box and say that this is what you need to follow. Mm. So everybody will have their own proclivities, they will have their own tendencies and accordingly find the right kind of association. And with, in today's social media age and internet age, 
there are millions of communities you can search and get connected. So that's the first A for association. B stands for books. So when I refer to books, you know, it also includes that particular spiritual practice and uh, you know, as Krishna says, Adi Devik, Adi Bhautik, Adhyatmik Klesh, understand that the climate of this world is always going to be filled with three types of miseries. Misery caused by nature, mm. natural cataclysms, tsunamis, tornadoes, heavy rainfall, lack of rainfall, droughts, various kinds of things. That's called Adi Daivik, which is caused by natural disasters. Second is Adi Bhautik, distress and disaster caused by other living entities. Mm. It could be in the form of diseases, it could be in the form of crimes, mm. various kinds of things. And the third is Adhyatmik, distress caused by our own body and mind. And therefore, you know, almost we have uh, approximately 17 million people getting uh, killed every year due to cardiovascular diseases, over 10 million due to cancer and 5 million due to obesity. So, and what to speak of the 300 million across the world who are experiencing stress and anxiety sim symptoms. So, yes, our own mind and senses and body can also be the cause of a lot of distress. So, once you are aware from the books that yes, distress is inevitable, but the response to that is in my hand. Mm. And then to respond to that, you prepare yourself through C, which is contemplation. So, there are various forms of contemplation and meditation which have been described. Some are achievement oriented, some are knowledge, knowledge oriented, some are perfection oriented and some are devotion or love oriented. So, we choose our contemplation accordingly and then through the process of contemplation and meditation, we actually start evolving ourselves spiritually and realize that I, the soul, Jiva, I am mm. trying to actually control nature through time and engage in action or activity. So, technically the Gita calls this Jiva, the soul, Prakriti, nature, Kala, time and karma is action. Mm -hmm. So, when we try to enjoy and exploit nature using kala and karma, the experience is that of anxiety. So, this attempt and effort to enjoy kala and karma is technically in Sanskrit known as bhoga or the tendency to enjoy mm -hmm. and exploit. So, bhoga causes chinta or anxiety. Mm -hmm. So, when a person goes through that anxiety, then he starts contemplating. Mm -hmm. And the object of that contemplation is, I thought I have everything under control. I thought I worked out everything. I thought I have all the plans for everything, but looks like there is a controller above me. Yes. I had all my plans for April 2020, May 2020, June 2020, but I didn't imagine that on May 20th, 2020, there would be a national-wide lockdown called. Yes. And then that lockdown continued for months and in some countries for a couple of years. Mm. And then I realized that 
maybe there is a controller above all of us and that technically in the Gita is called as Ishwara. Ishwara basically means the controller. Mm -hmm. So therefore if someone says, I don't like religion, I don't believe in Hinduism, I don't believe in Christianity, I don't believe this, I don't believe that. We say, okay, forget religion. Just look at five elements, five realities. There is you, the soul. Are you real? Are you existing? Yes. Mm -hmm. There is nature. Does it exist? Yes. Time, does it exist? Yes. Activity, does it exist? Yes. And then, could there be a controller which is beyond any of our planning and imagination? Looks like yes. Mm -hmm. So we are looking at Ishwar, Jeeva, Prakriti, Kala, Karma. We contemplate how the soul can be connected to the super soul or Ishwara and that object of contemplation and the method of contemplation has unlimited flavors and varieties. Mm. And so after you go through the association books and contemplation, the fourth is D which is diet. Yes. And diet plays a major role because I say, people ask me questions, should I be vegetarian, should I be non-vegetarian, should I be this, that, I say, first focus on your objective. The diet of a boxer will be different from the diet of a gymnast. A gymnast's breakfast cannot be same as a boxer's breakfast. Mm -hmm. So if someone's objective or end goal is to become strong like a boxer, his diet will be different. If someone's goal is to become supple, flexible, slim, like a gymnast, their diet will be different. Mm -hmm. So if someone says, I want to have the peace, the serenity of a yogi. Yogi is the one who is contemplating on a relationship of the soul, not directly with nature, kala and karma, but with Ishwara. So if you have to have the attitude of a yogi, then you have to have the diet of a yogi. Mm. So therefore it all depends on what is your priority, what is your objective, what is your end goal and accordingly you choose accordingly. So one whose intention in life is fear under the influence of mode of ignorance. Above that is the intention of mode of passion which is intention caused by desire. Mm -hmm. But above intention of fear and desire is the intention caused by mode of goodness which is intention out of a sense of duty. From that point onwards, a person can start cultivating the yogic attitude and above that is pure goodness where one is simply trying to act influenced by selfless service which is love. So therefore, the attitude of a yogi should be accompanied by the diet of a yogi which is basically in the mode of goodness. So in terms of the diet, I guess if somebody who's vegetarian or vegan sees somebody else eating meat, they often think they're a bad person because they're killing another life or killing another soul. But that's a judgment within itself. So how do we move away from that? Well. In all the various traditions, uh, 
compassion has always been emphasized. So today the, the fact of the matter is that out of the 8 billion people on the planet there are only around 700 million vegetarians. So meat seems to be the most prominent diet in people's lives. But as I said that if you go into the texts of the Gita and of you know various other traditions they will have so many quotations of what is to be done, what is not to be done. But from various perspectives, from the point perspective of compassion, from the perspective of climate change, from the perspective of your consciousness, you know, there have been tremendous uh, benefits described of uh, following a plant-based diet. Mm. And even there is a whole movement currently uh, amongst doctors in America who are seeing the impact of uh, non-plant-based diet on various kinds of diseases it, it creates. So I would say that uh, in today's day and age, there is so much of information available that everybody can make their own informed choices. Mm -hmm. So it all depends on which kind of information you seek mm. to actually ultimately guide your intentions. It feels though sometimes we need to be on either one side or another. So if, you know, when we spoke previously about who do you want to be, mm -hmm. if I say my intention is, you know, to be quite spiritual, be in touch with God, feel, um, you know, be someone who's clean hearted, let's just say, then why should I do these podcasts or why should I make money or why should I wear nice clothes or it often feels like if you say I'm going to be vegan, I'm spiritual, then I shouldn't care about money. And often money seems to be the root of all evil for a lot of people. Is making money a bad thing? Well, if there is a knife, that knife can kill somebody. Mm. The knife can cut vegetables to feed you. The knife can be in a surgeon's hand and save lives. So the knife by itself is neutral, but depends on what kind of use it is put to with what intention. So therefore, wealth by itself is neutral. But if the wealth is powered by fear and greed, mm. then the wealth can create havoc. The same wealth, if it is powered by compassion, it can create so much of transformation and change in people's lives. So therefore, it all depends on the intention behind the action. So true. I love that example. I've never heard that before. So a lot of people would be looking at that and saying, okay, well, my intention is to make a lot of money and help others with it, right? So that's okay. But a lot of people listening to that would think, okay, well, you only need a little bit of money to make an impact or you, only, or you should give away all of your money and not keep anything for yourself. So you know, how we talked around self-sacrifice previously. Let's say I make, I don't know, a million pounds. Some people would say, well, you don't have to live in a nice flat or a nice house. You should donate all of your money if you want to be a good person. Right. So, just let me give an example that if somebody needs to stay fit, then they need to exercise, play a game or whatever. But if someone says, I will only play football when I become like Ronaldo. So that means he'll never start. Mm -hmm. So Ronaldo will play at his level, but each one of us can play at our level. So it depends on how eager we are to start playing. Mm -hmm. 
So when, when it comes to philanthropy, when it comes to charity, when it comes to giving, then we have to begin the process knowing that it is a part of our regular ongoing purification of consciousness. It is called aparigraha, to be free from the conception that I am the possessor of this, I am the controller of this. So just like there are uh, things we do on a daily basis, we take a bath, mm -hmm. we clean ourselves, we brush the teeth because all of this is required because our body tends to become dirty on a regular basis. Similarly, there are things which we need to do on a regular basis to keep our mind and emotions clean. Mm. And part of that is maybe prayer and contemplation, but other part is also actions which impact the mind, actions which infuse our emotions with feelings of compassion, consideration, collaboration, cooperation. Mm -hmm. And part of that is giving in charity. And therefore Krishna says in the Gita, Datavyam ityadhanam diyate anupakarine deshe kalecha patrecha taddhanam satvikam smritam. He says that a charity which is done in the mode of goodness has the following characteristics. First, we must do it as with a sense of duty. Datavyam ityadhanam. Number two, diyate anupakarine. The charity must be given with no expectation of getting something in return. Deshe kale chapatricha, as per time, place and circumstance, we have to give. Like suppose I go to a place and say I want to give, you know, distribute sweets amongst children. Yeah. Okay, so that may be a good mood and it may be okay to distribute sweets amongst children. But if somebody is diabetic and then you say I want to do good for him and I want to distribute these sweets. This is the only thing I have to distribute and I have to fulfill my quota of distribution today and you are the only person I see, so please take this. So the distribution of sweets to a heavy diabetic person would not be doing good. So that's called Deshe Kale Chapatre as per time, place and circumstance. Therefore, you know, the whole idea is that for a person to remain peaceful, satisfied, stable and secure, he needs to inculcate the culture of giving and forgiving. Mm. And both of these actually help cleanse the soul. And many times people think that giving is good for the receiver. But actually the important thing is to realize giving is good and healing for the giver. So true. You talk so much around all of these concepts that you have learned and all of these concepts that you currently teach. But a lot of people would say, you know, it's almost like a cult following. That's what people have said to me. So I go to the temple every Sunday and for me it's kind of like my safe space and somewhere I go because I really enjoy it. Mm -hmm. But some people have said to me, you know, make sure you don't get too sucked in. Mm -hmm. Make sure you don't um, become so obsessive because a lot of people can become obsessed with religion. How do we move away from that and why do we think people say that? Well, uh, it all depends on how each one has their particular flavor of attraction. If someone is a football addict, 
-hmm. then the ones who are not interested in football just can't understand it. Yes. And then they'll make all kinds of judgments and comments around that. So each one has their own area of absorption. And as the intensity, so it begins with attraction. Mm -hmm. Once that attraction grows, then when there is undeviated attraction, intensified attraction, it becomes absorption. Mm. When the absorption grows further in dimension, it may become obsession and then one can't live without it. Mm. It becomes very much part of one's own life, just like a life breath. Mm. So, each one of us would find ourselves moving in different directions depending on the kind of association we have in this life mm. and the kinds of association we may have had in previous lives mm. because that is something which most people uh, are unable to explain because many many lifetimes of associations determine the direction the trajectory in which our current lifetime's attraction moves in. And many times you find yourself irresistibly attracted to an activity, to a person, to a situation. There may be a sense of deja vu when you visit certain places and we are not able to explain that. Mm -hmm. But it's all because the soul is part of a journey and then Krishna says in Gita, Dehi nosmin yatha dehe kaumaram yauvanam jara tatha dehantara praptir dhirastatra namuhyati the soul goes through series of experiences in different lives, old age, uh, birth, youth, old age, disease and death. Mm -hmm. And after death, the soul continues the journey, but the soul has the smell of so many lifetimes of experiences with it. Mm -hmm. And therefore, it defines many of our current choices. That we perhaps don't directly understand or know of. But how do you know whether to believe that? Because a lot of people blame a lot of things on religion, right? Well, it must have been my previous life's this, or that must have been your karma, or this is written in the stars for you. How do we know what's true and what isn't true? Well, you know, I would like to begin by saying that loud is always not large. Sometimes in our family or organization, society, situations, when uh, you are making decisions, mm -hmm. there may be some resistance from people, there may be some protest, and there may be objections or skepticism. But it is usually uh, a few people who are extremely loud about it. Mm -hmm. But that which is loud is not always large, because the majority may not disagree the majority may agree, but they may be quiet about it. Yes. Similarly, the data shows that today the world has 8 billion people and almost 31% are Christians, 23% are following Islam, 15% are following Hinduism and almost 8.5% are Buddhists. And there is a 16% uh, skeptics, atheists, agnostics and things like that. But if you see the overall numbers, the numbers are showing that majority are quite aligned with some kind of spiritual thought process. Yes. So therefore, I do agree there may be pockets of people who may disagree and may have major doubts about it. Mm. 
but when you come to actual practice then you ask all the hard questions and when you ask the hard questions you allow the texts and the teachers of the texts to answer rebut and give logical explanations on the cause and effect phenomena to all of these various questions and then when you become intellectually convinced and logically convinced to a certain extent you will begin the process and the remaining conviction comes through the experience yes. so logic takes you halfway mm -hmm. and then the experience completes the process just like in a visit to a doctor you have a pain mm. i have a pain i go to a doctor doctor gives an explanation analysis gives a pill gives a medication i have to begin with some faith yes the day one i pop the pill in my mouth my body is screaming with pain it's not that as soon as i put the pill the pain goes away then i have to have faith that over a period of time which the doctor predicts then the pain will go similar thing in any spiritual practice also i'm loving all of these analogies i'm going to write them all down afterwards <laughs> <laughs> but i i know that for a lot of people listening and watching this they're feeling at the start of perhaps that journey of of having that faith and for some people they may be thinking you know when i'm going through a bad time or you know in the uk at the moment loneliness is such a big thing and when i always ask people you know what advice do you need do you need any help with things people always say i'm so lonely i'm feeling really depressed and i'm finding it really hard to manage my mental health so kind of at the start of that journey what would you recommend to people it's very important for us to realize that for every visit to a restaurant and every order we make at the restaurant mm -hmm. giving the order getting the order placed getting the item delivered on your table the hot pizza is there you enjoy it it's a great experience but at the end of the pizza and the drink uh, at the end of the pizza and the juice which you have there is something which is required which is you have to pay the bill mm. so there are no free lunches in this world so last 30 to 50 years humankind has become more and more technologically obsessed spending more time with technology than with other human beings mm -hmm. and one of the interesting things which technology has done is technology has given us the satisfaction of feeling that i can control things better so if there is a television which is you know showing a show yes. and i have a remote i switch off it gets off i change the channel i get a different channel mm. so my ability to control the gadgets is at an all time high mm -hmm. then i realize that oh my god looks like it's easier for me to control gadgets then it is for me to control other people and their emotions and what i expect from them so because we spend so much of time switching on and off the gadgets we kind of get used to the habit of getting responses at the flick of a button mm -hmm. but human beings are not like that things are there so that they could be controlled but human beings need to be loved but we seem to get into the obsession of controlling people and loving things mm. 
and therefore in this scenario we have lost contact with the humankind and humans need to spend more time with other humans and especially in the younger ages as people are growing up they need to feel emotionally sheltered and secure like one of the greatest challenges the world is facing is malnutrition yes in several pockets of africa and other third world countries where even though they may have the food but the proper amount of nutrition is not there in the food so once you are malnourished and if you do not get the right kind of vitamins and minerals in your food in the age of you know from the time you are born till the age of 5 to 7 many times it leaves behind permanent impact even when the person grows up physically wow similarly from the time one is born till the age of 7 to 8 one's emotions are very vulnerable and therefore just like physically we need the right kind of nutrients minerals and vitamins through the food and if you don't get you get affected similarly emotionally the child is dependent on the parents on the siblings on the immediate family members and so when you had larger families and joint family system it may have been little more inconvenient physically it may have been inconvenient in terms of sharing of resources and you know trying to align with so many thoughts of people around and maybe we thought by bringing in the nuclear families we have scored a victory but as we make the families smaller and as we make every member of the family a working uh, family member then you have kids growing up mm. with lesser amount of emotional support than what they would have been comfortable with or have been nourished with emotionally so therefore nourishment should not be seen only in terms of physical uh, receiving of vitamins minerals and nutrients yes but also in terms of emotional uh, feelings of appreciation satisfaction gratitude just the feeling that someone is always there for me in all circumstances that unconditional love mm. which a child experiences in the growing years it goes deep into their psyche that creates a kind of nourishment and the kind of mental and emotional resilience which cannot be shaken up in the later years and gives that person a kind of fortitude to be able to face any kind of calamity so do you believe happiness is a choice happiness depends on the various kinds of flavors we choose there is you know maybe 5 paise 50 paise 1 rupee 5 rupees and maybe a billion rupees mm. similarly happiness or pleasure in terms of sensual pleasure sensual happiness when there is a, a gulab jamun or a rasgulla or a sweet or a cookie which hits the tongue you experience one level of happiness mm. but it's the five paise type mm. disappears yes the next there is a musical piece there's a poetry you hear 
it is the mental pleasure mm. it is a 50 paise type little longer lasting yes. it makes you also forget that sensual pleasure for some time higher than that is the intellectual pleasure the one rupee type you are into problem solving it absorbs you you forget the sensation of time mm. people who play all kinds of intellectual games or into solving a certain problem is the world is facing the scientists they experience intellectual pleasure mm. higher than that is the egoistical pleasure the sense of achievement the mm. sense of accomplishment the sense of control yes. and when that drives people they do all kinds of things but above the sensual mental intellectual and egoistical pleasure all of this is within the 5 dollar 5 pound 5 rupees range above that is directly the 5 billion range mm. that is a spiritual pleasure ramante yogino anante satyadanda chidatmani iti rama padenaso param brahma vidyate so ram is a very popular word but most people don't know that the meaning of ram means reservoir or ocean of pleasure and that ocean of boundless pleasure comes from the experience of the unlimitedly blissful jiva soul serving the unlimitedly all powerful all blissful supreme soul mm. and therefore that relationship of the soul with the super soul unleashes releases the unlimited spiritual pleasure and therefore those people who are seeking that unlimited pleasure they are the connoisseurs of pleasure they are known as the yogis so the yogi is not a madman yes yogi is a connoisseur of pleasure who is saying no to all the other options of pleasure because his eyes are set on only experiencing the highest type of pleasure spiritual yeah so powerful i've learned so much from you today and i feel that like you've given me so many different analogies and examples so what would you say is your favorite lesson or teaching from the gita the gita says very beautifully that we have limited control over our circumstances but we have unlimited control over our consciousness if i am sitting in a flight mm. and the flight is on the runway and i look and i see the buildings all around i can't decrease the size of those skyscrapers but if the flight starts moving on the runway mm. and the runway is required because the runway keeps the flight's journey restricted mm. is restriction good is restriction bad if the flight is not restricted to move on the runway it cannot gather speed if it cannot gather speed it cannot gain altitude mm -hmm. when the flight gains altitude then from the window when i look down the skyscraper looks like a matchbox so i have not changed the size of the problem mm. but i have gained altitude and height and the perspective so therefore when today when people go through difficulty and challenges they become depressed yes they pop a pill mm. the bhagavad gita is saying there is an alternative to popping a pill in depression it is transforming your perspective so therefore the material way is pill the spiritual way is perspective 
I choose to follow how to transform the perspective and how to help people transform the perspective. That's what I say that Gita brings to the table which is so important in today's context as we are dealing with constant changes in circumstances. Mm. Let's focus on elevating our consciousness to Krishna consciousness, to God consciousness, to elevate it at such a level that no matter what changes happen, you may be affected, but you do not become hopeless. Mm. So powerful. I love that. I'm so excited to read your book as well. I feel like I'm going to, I hope all of these analogies are in there so I can... Some of them. <laughs> so I can, I can read them back. But thank you so much you. For, for being here and for, for teaching me so much today. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much, Yuani. Everyone, and thank you so much for listening and watching this podcast. Wherever you're listening or watching, if you could please press the follow, like and subscribe button, it would really mean the world to me.